Welcome again to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts, or it would usually be an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre, lecturer in literature at Campion College. Confessions by St. Augustine of Hippo is considered the first work of Western autobiography ever written. Penned by Augustine around 400 AD, while he was in his 40s, it looks back upon his wild youth with regret, lamenting his early sinful ways, his misguided beliefs in pseudo-religions like astrology, and eventually his conversion to Christianity. We are discussing Augustine's Confessions today as it's been selected by Mr. Thomas Flynn, lecturer in classical languages here at Campion College, as one of the texts that you should read if you're interested in the liberal arts. So, Mr. Thomas Flynn, thank you so much for your text selection, and thank you for joining me to answer some questions about it today. Thank you very much, Colin. So, we'll just quickly explain again uh, the idea of this series. These are, these are books that, if you're interested in the liberal arts, um, if you want to study the liberal arts at Campion, uh, if you are just thinking about applying to Campion, books you uh, might want to think about reading. Uh, the books I, I, the ones I've thought about are mostly within the range of high school students, upper high school students, and some of them might be a stretch goal. Um, I don't think Augustine's Confessions is. I, I, I think in its in some of the great translations that are available, uh, it, it, any, anyone who's interested in the liberal arts, yeah. um, I think, could benefit and enjoy Augustine's Confessions. Yeah, agreed. Uh, my position, because I am not that familiar with the book myself, my position is to ask the very rudimentary questions and to hand over to you to kind of explain in more detail uh, what this book is about, why it's so important, uh, why it's worth reading today, many, many hundreds of years after it was written. So, first question, who are we talking about, uh, this St. Augustine? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I guess that'll do. Augustine, Augustine. Augustine, Austin. Austin. Yeah, if you ever if you know anyone called Austin, it's 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 a boiled down version of Augustine. Really? Okay. Well, who was he? Uh, why is he important? Augustine was born in uh, North Africa, in the Roman province there, and he may have had some Berber uh, ancestry, um, but he's thoroughly Roman in the way he writes and thinks. Uh, he was born to a Christian mother and a non-Christian father. His father's name, his mother's name was Monica. His father's name was Patrick. Well, obviously they call him Patricius. Uh, he grew up uh, near Carthage, so the town of Rome's great right. enemy from the early period. And while, so he, he had the ordinary life of a, an intelligent, uh, educated young man. He went on to become professor of rhetoric at Milan before eventually becoming a Christian. But he was was a seeker. He was something he was a seeker. So for, as about the age of, he tells us in fact, at uh, the age of fifteen, he discovered Cicero's Hortensius, um, a work of, of philosophy by the great Roman orator of the first century BC, Cicero. Um, the, the work itself, alas, does not survive. Mm. But um, this was the impulse for him to study philosophy, and he was interested in why are things here? Why are we here? And he, um, so he, he was all his life as a seeker. He pursued for a long time the religion of Manichaeism. Um, and I don't want to get into too much detail on that one because you get in the thickets quickly. But um, this is an idea that you know the body is something terrible and um, the idea of the, how we're trying to get past that to become, to get into the light and we need to get beyond the body and so on. Um, he was interested in Christianity and uh, he eventually became a Christian in 387. 
and who was baptized by St Ambrose of Milan uh, in Milan you can see the you can see the very font it happened in probably um if you go to Mil- the basement of um, Milan Cathedral now but he, and okay. about 10 years later so he returned to Africa and became a bishop there at Hippo and he wrote the confessions the story i always heard augustine's works are voluminous so sort of trying to get through them is, is quite <laughs> quite tough but he um he, the story I always heard is, is that he was worried that his his flock would think he was just this great and holy man. He said, "No, no, no! You really need to know what I used to be like." So he wrote he wrote the confessions. It's structured as a prayer. So he um, starts with a, so uh, you have a prayer to God, to say what I was like, and you have your mercy, and then goes on to a description of autobiography, and then it's a prayer again. So a confession, the word confession, of course, doesn't just mean admitting guilt. It mm. also means a statement of faith, and that that's in many ways what his. Uh, his work is. He attempts to give, as you say, it, it is the, probably the first work of autobiography. I mean, Augu- uh, the Emperor Augustus did write his memoirs and, uh, <laughs> and he put up a, um, a summary of his memoirs in, in, um, all around the Roman Empire, but uh, it's not quite the same thing. <laughs> uh, it, he attempts to give a true account of the internal processes that led to him becoming a Christian. And it's, it's really quite a remarkable book as i say i don't mm. think it's that hard to read um you have to be in a certain frame of mind but it, it, the ideas aren't complicated it's the path through life of a young man and uh, you can see it the, the stories of augustine's wild life are a little exaggerated partly thanks to him <laughs> so, i mean he, he wasn't that bad he certainly wasn't catullus of the fourth century so <laughs> like prince hell of becoming no, no, not even that. But uh, from his point of view, it was a great falling off, and he'd, he'd wasted his life. And so he, he re- regretted that greatly, and he sought to make amends in his later work and, of course, in the Confessions. So you said that the, the text had that purpose of kind of describing to his faithful, or the other faithful, what the, the conversion that he himself had gone that's through. A, that's what I understand, and certainly it makes sense if you read it like that. I mean, why, God doesn't need to be told how Augustine lived his life, so he's, he's not actually telling God, I don't think. He's, t- he's telling other people, but it's also as an example of conversion, and there are, within, within the book, that there are, he tells other people's stories that match in certain ways to his own story and mm. uh, how they are examples to him and how he doesn't necessarily follow those examples but he um, he later sees them and he reflects on them and, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a powerful work is, Was there any indication that it was impactful in its own time? Obviously it's, it's remained significant I can't tell you, I, I think so, yes I mean, it, it, it has um, I, I, think, I, I think Augustine's works have been read pretty much since Hmm. Um, he, he died. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it had, it's had an influence later. Obviously, there's the, um, there's the Confessions of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and I assume that has some kind of connection with it. And uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, other people obviously thought about what Augustine said about memory and about and about faith and conversion themselves. So yeah, he, he had an influence in a huge way. Yes, um, one of the most famous stories is, is, is his account of the death of his own mother. Mm. And um, because she's also, just like Augustine, is venerated as a saint in the Catholic Church. And she spent her whole life praying for Augustine's conversions. Uh, well, so are there any particular passages that you uh, particularly illustrative of, you think, the power of the work or its significance? Well, there's the famous one from his uh, early life where he's talking about the, the dreadful way he behaved as a young man. Uh, theft receives certain punishments by your law. Remember, of course, parts of this are addressed to God and parts of it about his life. So he's talking to God now. Theft receives certain punishment by your law, Lord, and by the law written in the hearts of men, which not even iniquity itself destroys. 
For what thief can with equanimity endure being robbed by another thief? He cannot tolerate it, even if he is rich and the other is destitute. I wanted to carry out an act of theft, and did so, driven by no kind of need, other than my inner lack of any sense of, or feeling for, justice. Wickedness filled me. I stole something which I had in plenty, and of much better quality. My desire was to enjoy not what I sought by stealing, but merely the excitement of thieving, and the doing of what was wrong. Hmm. There was a pear tree near our vineyard, laden with fruit, though attractive in neither colour nor taste. To shake the fruit off the tree and carry off the pears, I and a gang of naughty adolescents set off late at night after, in our usual pestilential way, we had continued our game in the streets. We carried off a huge load of pears, but they were not for our feasts, but merely to throw to the pigs. Even if we ate a few, nevertheless our pleasure lay in doing what was not allowed. That's, that's great. Augustine on the pears. And that's from um, the Oxford World's Classics translation by Henry Chadwick. Um, the translation I recommend, as to say the one I've read two or three times, is the Old Penguin translation, which I think has been republished. There are two Penguin translations. One by Gary Wills. I say nothing for or against it. I've never read it. Um, I'm sure it's very good. Uh, the other one is by uh, from, from the 60s, but I think it's been brought back into print by a man who gloried in the name R.S. Pine Coffin. And so um, that, that translation, uh, that was one, this is probably my favourite translation of an ancient classic because you really see the point of it. You, you, you understand why people admire Augustine's Confessions so much. And when you, when you can compare it to the Latin, you can see he's not um, just slavishly following Augustine's ways. He really is bringing to life the way Augustine himself would have written if he wrote in English. and um, So, yeah, that's the old Penguin translation. Um, but uh, I think any modern translation would, would be pretty good. And this is from when uh, his friend Ponticianus, or, uh, who's told him a story that has pricked his conscience, because it's now book eight, he's still sort of dithering about what he's going to do. And, uh, and so well, Ponticianus told him about some, some people he knew who left everything and become, and become monks. So this was what Ponticianus told us. But while he was speaking, O oh Lord, you were turning me around to look at myself, for I had placed myself behind my own back, refusing to see myself. You were setting me before my own eyes so that I could see how sordid I was, how deformed and squalid, how tainted with ulcers and sores. I saw it all and stood aghast, but there was no place where I could escape from myself. If I tried to turn my eyes away, they fell on Ponticianus, still telling his tale, and in this way you brought me face to face with myself once more forcing me upon my own sight, so that I should see my wickedness and loathe it. I had known it all along, but I'd always pretended that it was something different. I'd turned a blind eye and forgotten it. Um, now, the, the conclusion, the conclusion yeah. has a happy... And so you can see there's um, really working out these Augustine's working out ways of talking about your inner yeah. self and, and, and really solving... It's like subjectivity exactly, and yeah. yourself behind you. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the famous one. So he's, um, he had this moment of crisis where he runs out of the house and right to the bottom of the garden. And, and when I was talking about the translations, I was going to say, it's the one with Augustine, but the, the edition, the, the, the Penguin edition now of um, Pinecoffin's translation is the one with Augustine with his face buried in his hands. And as I thought that, um, there is, of course, here we've got the Oxford one. It's another picture of Augustine with his face buried in his hands. It's this famous scene right at the end, or the end of his, his, his conversion. Way. So he runs into the garden. I was asking myself these questions, weeping all the while, with the most bitter sorrow in my heart, when all at once I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house, 
Whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say. But again and again it repeated the frame, Take it and read, take it and read. At this I looked up, thinking hard whether there was any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these. But I could not remember ever hearing them before. So he, he, thing, he heard by chance someone saying, Tolle lege, pick up, read, in Latin, but uh, take it and read. And so he goes and takes that as a sign and goes and reads um, the book that's lying there before him. And that is the effect of his conversion right there. Uh, so that's his, And that book, of course, was... The Bible. Right. Uh, it was precisely, uh, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. Romans 13, 13 to 14. And sorry to be so ignorant, but is the suggestion, who left the Bible? Oh, he, the well, he was in a house with um, with other people, and so the, the, the book happened, so someone else, in, there, were, there were a group of um, people okay. who were uh, interested in the, um, all interested in Christianity, and all fumbling their own way there, one way or another. Right. Um, I think the others had already pretty much made it, and um, but the book was left there as someone was reading. What's interesting is the story clearly implies that he's reading a, I think, that he's reading what we call a codex, which is what you and I think of as a book. So it's, because it, it's where you leave a finger in a text and fold it, mm. um, which, of course, is not the way books used to be. And in fact, the co- this is just background, folks. Um, this is the period when the codex starts taking over from the scroll, and so you can sort of see it there in the story. Wow. Fantastic. All right, well, that was uh, introduction to St. Augustine's Confessions. I want to thank... Thomas for joining me today and introducing me to that text. Thank you very much, Colin. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please do tell your friends. Uh, And if you're so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback, please do drop us a line. The email is conversations at campion.edu.au. Thank you again to to Thomas, and we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. This episode brought to you by the Oxford Comma, the comma you place immediately before a coordinating conjunction. If you want to list three or more items in a row, use the Oxford Comma. Otherwise, you're an uncultured monster. The Oxford Comma, yet another judgy, pedantic, grammatical rule that haunts us all. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.